Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome on in to another episode, the relaunch episode of the Dynamic Leaders podcast. I am here today with my co-host. Yes, I said co-host, Jamie Huffman. Jamie, welcome back this time as co-host of the Dynamic Leaders podcast. Thank you so much, Colin. I'm excited to be here. I am thrilled about having you it's brought a lot of energy and juice to this relaunch. And when I'm talking about the relaunch, if you don't already know, if you haven't seen it on social media or in your podcast feed, we are part of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network now. So we are officially professional podcasters. That's pretty cool to be able to say. And we've changed the format a little bit. So what's going to happen all these episodes moving forward Jamie and I, we're going to do a little segment together, probably 15, 20, 25 minutes on everything, leadership, culture, entrepreneurial. I know she has a lot of topics on that, that she wants to dive into. So we'll definitely talk about that. And then we're going to move into our, most of our episodes are going to feature a guest as well. And those are going to be pre-recorded conversations that we'll just, with the magic of podcasting, throw into the same episode. Today's episode is with Lauren Johnson, who is a mental performance coach. She formerly worked for the Yankees. Now she works for her own business, works for a lot of big brands. Super awesome guest. This is actually, in addition to all this excitement, this is episode 150 of the Dynamic Leaders podcast. So we have so much going on and so much to get to. But real quick, Jamie, before we get into our topic today, can you just tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself, reintroduce yourself, who you are, what you got going on, and why you're here sitting on the other side of the mic? Absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, my name is Jamie, and I joined Dynamic Leaders as a guest a couple times a few months ago and had such a blast chatting with you, Colin, and our conversations off of recording had been awesome, too. So I was really excited when you reached out to me to join you as a co-host. And I actually just relocated back down to the Charlotte area where Colin is also from and living in. So not originally from, but is calls home now. And I had grown up right outside of Charlotte before relocating to New York City for seven years. So up in New York City, I studied acting and kind of did the opposite of most people, started out in the arts and then decided I wanted to go into business and found my passion in entrepreneurship. And I still love acting as a creative outlet, but absolutely more focused on the entrepreneurial side of it. I own a puppy training academy here in the Charlotte area. So besides entrepreneurship, my lifelong passion has been dogs and puppies. So um, I'm kind of living the dream down here now, working with puppies every day, which has been awesome. And 
through that, it has been really exciting to be hands-on with my own business and learning. And I have learned so much from Colin already. So I am very, very excited to get the chance to host and talk about entrepreneurship and leadership, which is something I'm navigating now and have learned a lot about in the past, but there's nothing like really doing it hands-on. Um, and you've been, you're a little further along with your own company and business and doing so much. So I'm really excited to see what the conversations hold and how much I can learn from you and also our guests. So thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of it. Yeah. And I think I have learned, I not think, I know, Jamie, I've learned so much from you too. And Jamie and I have been connected for quite a while. If you haven't picked up on that in previous episodes and we've done numerous things, not just in the podcast, working together. And this just felt like a natural extension in a good way for us to partner and to pair about things that we're really passionate about. And so you mentioned your business just real quick. So the listening audience can get a little bit more detail. What do you do with that business? How do you help your little puppies? Yeah, absolutely. So I board and train and I also offer a day school program for puppies, typically six months and under, but I'll also work with puppies up to a year. And basically it's setting them up for ongoing success through foundational training. So nothing is rocket science. None of it is really, you know, fixing terrible behaviors or anything like that. It really is preventative. So it's making sure they have a really strong foundation of not only training, but also socialization too. So they're working with me on things like sit and crate training and how to socialize with new people and not to bark or jump on people and all of that good stuff. And the other piece of it is really supporting the owners. It's a lot of new owners who are really overwhelmed. It is a huge commitment getting a new puppy um, or a dog in general, but puppies themselves have so much work. You know, they're not potty trained and they cry all night and all of that. So it is um, a ton of support for the owners and just kind of helping them navigate their new, their new furry family member and getting them on the right track. Yeah, so very cool. And Jamie and I have joked a lot about the similarities between the puppies that she's taken care of and my daughter, who's going to be a year old in a week here, which is insane. But it's it's a really cool business. I'll put in this will be in all the show notes so you don't have to get to it this week. But please, at some point, check out the business, check everything out that Jamie's doing. So you'll be able to reference that in the show notes. And with that, we are moving into our first segment. This is going to be a weekly thing at least we think it's going to be a weekly thing we'll see how things go and for now we're calling it one big win and we are going to jamie and i just share a big win that we've had over the past week since we're doing this on a week-to-week basis again moving forward so jamie i'm gonna put you on the spot so i have a minute to think here but what's (laughs) one big win that you want to celebrate here on the podcast Oh, no, I was really hoping you'd go first. I had a a chance to think too. But um, (laughs) one thing that's standing out to me, and maybe if this is a next week's win or a previous week's win, but we're going to count it as this week, is I'm actually moving um, next Wednesday. So this week is all about packing. And we'll say my win of the week is I successfully packed up my closet and my bedroom and still have puppies running around, which is really tough. Most days I don't have time to shower. So the fact that I successfully packed um, at least a room or a section of my house is really exciting. But um, I'm moving to a house in a different neighborhood that's going to have a huge backyard and make my life so much easier. So that in and of itself is a win. But moving and backing sounds like a success this week. 
Yeah, that is quite a win right there. All the think of all the room that the puppy's gonna have to roam around in that backyard. And wow, you're you just upgraded big time. I think that's a really great one. For sure. Yeah. What about you? What is your one big win of the week? Oh man. Um it, you know, things have gotten crazy busy again since getting the vaccine and the world opening up. And I feel like day to day things blend more than ever, especially with Stella and how fast she's growing and the attention that she needs now. So my win might seem a little bit trivial, but I started another podcast recently called two jocks in a schlub. And I guess this is a shameless plug for it too, but I've been trying to have that podcast with my two best friends, Matt and Ethan for almost four years now, I think. And I finally convinced them to do it. We had our first episode this past Wednesday. We've gotten a ton of people reaching out saying how great they thought it was, giving us suggestions for segments and ideas, even complaining about things that we had said. So we know we're hitting the right chords. It's much more like laid back, just the three friends having fun, talking and I've just, I'm so happy, like from a, and this kind of ties into our topic that we're going to get to next, but I didn't even think about that. But from a mental health standpoint, when Matt, Ethan and I decided, okay, we were, we were actually going to give this a go. COVID was still, you know, in the heat of things. So it, it took us, you know, two and a half, three, four months to get everything set up, figure out our schedules, get some artwork, you know, and everything. But when we originally decided, yes, it was like, okay none of us are going anywhere. Like we want to talk to other people, <laughs> have interactions. And now it's, um, it, it's still really great, even though you know, things have changed pretty significantly due to the vaccine, but it's been so much fun. Like the anticipation leading up to it was a lot of fun. And now having the first episode out of the way, getting ready to record another episode later this week, and hopefully be able to go on a nice little run with that episode. I think it's just been a real, um, real lifter for me and uh, feels really, really like a big win for sure. That sounds like such a blast with your friends and all of that. I know you told me you were doing it, but what, what is the content of that podcast? <laughs> well, it's a show where the segments are made up and the content doesn't matter. So <laughs> but, <love> uh, <laughs> more generally that that's a play on uh, whose line is it anyways, if, if someone didn't pick that up, but more generally, it's going to be sports, probably pretty baseball, football heavy. Those are probably the two topics we're most knowledgeable about, especially baseball music we're all passionate about music pop culture a lot of tv you know things like that so it's a little bit of a mix of everything um i think ethan got into a, a nice little rant about religion and american politics last episode already too he's pretty easy to tick off and let him go on his little rant so it, it, you're really not gonna know we know loosely what we're going into talking about in these conversations but you never know what direction it's gonna go we just hit record and we go and see where it where it takes us so um yeah i wish i could give you a, a little bit more detail but i think that's the fun of it is it's not really structured that's awesome. I'm really, really excited to listen to that one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, uh, well, I'll put as another shameless plug, I'll put it in the show notes just this one time. So people can, if they want to subscribe, they can subscribe to the show, but we have to move on 
and we have a little bit of time left here, Jamie. So I want to talk about our guest again, Lauren Johnson, who's a mental performance coach, does so many amazing things. And I think you're all going to learn so much from this episode today. But the biggest takeaway that I took, one of the biggest takeaways, it's hard to take just one takeaway, and we're trying to be succinct with our time here. One of the biggest takeaways that I took is taking a preventative approach toward your mental health. And Lauren and I got into a pretty detailed discussion about how she was trying to do that with players in the Yankees organization when she worked there and now how she does it with clients in her own business. And, um, you know, I, I think about this all the time and, you know, I think people are pretty aware of this now, but when I was in college, I had pretty severe clinical depression and, you know, this was 10, 12 years ago, whatever, at this point, not really as talked about as it is today, especially for a male, a male in sports, that was not really something that, you know, you let be known um, back then. And I think it's becoming a little bit more of a, of a thing that we do talk about for good reason. And, um, you know, I know one of the biggest things I learned through that whole process is how to take care of myself, my brain and my mental health and how to not let things spiral uh, quite out of uh, as out of control as they got during that one experience. And so I know for me, there are ways that I can identify triggers per se uh, that are going to maybe put me in a downward spiral or just put me into the hamster wheel uh, and not really you know, get any, any better, you know, what, what kind of thought, I, I know you obviously take care of your health and, you know, you're big into this too. Um, you know, what are your thoughts around preventative mental health and like, what are, you know, maybe some tips that you could share that maybe can help some of the listening audience who's listening? Yeah, I think this is a really important topic. I think a lot of us talk about how to, you know, how we've come out of our mental health issues or how we've sought ongoing help. Um, but preventative is a huge, huge factor. And I know for me, there's been some up in New York, I definitely struggled with seasonal depression. It's light for me. So I knew like, that's just one thing physical, even when I chose apartments, looking for a place that had larger windows, like that was so I knew, okay, come winter time, I was going to be in a better headspace. And sometimes it's as simple as that. It's very tangible. And other times it's carving out, okay, I really don't have a lot of time today, but even if I can go for a run for 20 minutes or 15 minutes and just getting outside for me, I like to be outside. That's better than being in a gym in my perspective, just from a mental health, maybe not from workout. I still like to work out in the gym, but um, just as a opportunity to clear my head. And then I know when, you know, you told me very briefly before we got started on recording what the topic was going to be. So I've been thinking about it. Um, and I know another thing that I have been really doing recently as preventative measures for my own mental health is I really struggle with anxiety and getting super overwhelmed. And I know the triggers for me are having so much on my plate that I want to break down. And I, as I've started this business and I'm, it's growing much faster than I anticipated. So I have had to kind of learn to let go of some control and really asking for help. So me asking for as much help in as many different areas of my life as possible has been something that has helped me exponentially in the last couple of months as I've been navigating. So I've brought on a few people to uh, contractors who help me during the day. I've um, saved up enough money to get a cleaning lady because there's 
fur everywhere and things like that where before it was like, no, I, I need to save or I can do it myself. Like, absolutely. But then I would just, I would realize like, oh my gosh, I'm drowning. And that brings up so many different problems emotionally and mentally for me and how I'm going to navigate and get through the week or the day, let alone the week or the month. So um, one thing that's definitely been preventative for me is, is learning how to ask for help and support. Yeah. And I love what you talked about, because I think you bring up one really important point. And when we talk about preventative, uh, preventative steps from a mental health standpoint, we're not always necessarily talking about the major downward spiral, right? Like the clinical depression that, that I was in. I think a lot of times what we're talking about is the day to day, the anxiety, the pressures that we feel to get something done or to be somewhere now that the world is opened again. And so I think that's a really important thing to highlight is that when we talk about preventative steps, we're talking about that 20 minute run. It, it can, it gives you so many endorphins that, I mean, it, it just, it changes your life in these drastic ways that, I mean, I can't, I can't show listeners a, a chart with, you know, science and everything, but I promise you, if you go online and do a little bit of research or go to your library, like going for a run, just getting outside, like letting the, letting your feet touch the ground, like take your shoes off, you know, these small things, we, we all think it's like this big project to be mentally healthy on a day-to-day basis, but it's really just these small steps, meditate for five minutes. That's something that I try to do every single day, even listening to your favorite music, you know, that can get you into a good mood. And so, you know, I think it's important to highlight it from the day-to-day, but also to say like, you don't need to necessarily drastically change your life to get into a better mental health standpoint. Does that make sense? Exactly. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. It is, it is often this really small things that you can add to your day. That's not taking a ton of time. You're not restructuring everything to that really makes a huge difference. Um, Do you have any tips that have really, besides the meditation, I know you mentioned what has helped you because it sounds like, you know, you've, we've had some maybe even more pronounced mental health issues in the past and how have you overcome that and what are you doing now to prevent it from resurfacing? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, fortunately I haven't had quite as bad experience as I had back then. And a lot of it is because I've done a lot of work on myself and I've gone to therapy. I've, you know, talked to people informally too. I ask for help. You know, that that's one of the things that you talked about. Like I, I think I used to take on the mentality that you shouldn't, you shouldn't know what the limit is and, you know, you should be able to do it all. And I I mean, it's just nearly impossible. You have to know what your limits are. And so I think a lot of that goes into me being healthy from a mental standpoint. I think, you know, really um, outside of the meditation, I like to write, I like to read, I like to podcast, Um, you know, all these things don't necessarily take up you know, hours and hours and hours of my time every single day, you know, writing can be for like 10 minutes, reading can be for like 20 minutes. And then when I podcast, you know, depending on what I'm doing, it might be 20 minutes, might be an hour, but it's still not this huge time commitment. So that's like, those are my creative outlets. I'm not an actor like you. I I don't, I don't draw very well, you know, or things like that, but I do have a creative outlet that I think really helps with my mental health. Um, and I think the exercise thing is is the biggest key. Exercise, nutrition, even 
uh, just making sure you're eating healthy things. It's not to say that I don't eat dessert because that's a flat out lie. I love dessert. I'm a sweet tooth. Anyone who knows me knows that to be the case. So, um, but I moderation and I've learned how to, I think better manage, you know, everything um, in terms of all that. So yeah, I don't, I don't know that I do anything that's like earth shattering, (laughs) but I think that was what my point earlier was, is that, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know that all of these things you know, maybe combined or, you know, doing them on a more consistent basis would lead to me being a happier, healthier me, you know, especially when I was in that clinical state, it's like, you know, the, you have those thoughts, the, the world is coming down, you know, it's, it's really, really bad. And so, you know, I think, um, you know, for anyone who's listening, you know, if you're really struggling, obviously there are resources better than, you know, me and, and Jamie who can uh, help you here. Um, but I thought that was a, a really important cause you know, like Lauren and, and I don't want to steal her thunder in, in the episode, um, you know, but talking about just how to perform at work even um, and, and how, you know, if we're not healthy, you know, we can't do the things that people are expecting or asking us to do the things we're getting paid for. So there's so much that goes into it. And, and that's why I thought it was a really cool topic to talk about here today, but um, certainly don't pretend to have all the answers either. <laughs> Agreed, but it is an important topic and I'm really excited to listen to the episode. Um, one other thing that I would just want to mention briefly that you brought up was the topic of therapy. And I think that's really nice. That is something that I've done as also um, both as a to help myself when I was in a worse place, but then now also as preventative. I think um, it used to be something that was pretty taboo, but I really love that you even just briefly mentioned it because it has helped me so much. Now it's, it's not so much for anything in particular. It's just to have someone that, you know, I talk to now once a month that I can bounce ideas off of even, or just they can keep up with my life. And it's nice to have an outside opinion. And sometimes it's just them giving me book recommendations, but it still (laughs) helps to have some kind of upkeep. Um, And that's just a set aside time for me to really focus on my mental health. So um, I love that. And I, to your point, we absolutely are not the authority in this topic and, you know, have no business really helping people, but I love to hear your ideas. And that is one thing that, you know, seeking a therapist is never a bad idea. I think for anyone who's looking to improve their overall mental health. Absolutely. And I think I will close this out by saying that mental health is important, especially from a leadership standpoint. If you are not mentally healthy, you cannot help people to the best of their abilities because you can't help your you're not yourself at your best so that's why it's an important topic lauren is in a second going to talk to us about how it relates to performance and how you can be a high performer the more you take care of your mental health and the more you are aware about it so sit back and this is episode 150 of the dynamic leaders podcast with lauren johnson Okay, everyone, I am here with Lauren Johnson, a performance psychology coach. Lauren is somebody I've been keeping my eye on for a long time here and finally happy to circle around and get you on the podcast. And what I'd like to start our conversation around, and we'll certainly talk about a number of different things, but I know mental toughness is, at least from my research, a phrase that is important to you and I'm sure foundation into the work that you do. So can we start with you just simply defining what mental toughness is? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start because I think sometimes mental toughness is 
improperly defined or has kind of this weird view on it that you just have to be like super tough and you can't show any weakness and we can't be negative. And I just think that's the complete opposite of what it is. It's not restricting the way that you think and feel. It's processing the way that you think and feel in a way that can maintain a high level of performance. And so what my job is when I work with my clients um, is to help develop mental toughness through mental skills training so that my clients can be their best regardless of circumstance. They can show up to adversity. They can show up to struggle. They can show up in any moment and perform their best no matter what they're facing. Yeah, and I, I love how you <laughs> put that um disclaimer, I guess, on that it's not all rainbow and sunshine when we're talking about mental toughness. There are some truly difficult things that you need to get through. But I think what you pointed out and what I'd like to highlight is the process uh, to becoming, and this helps you become adaptable. And I know that's something uh, that's big with you as well. And so like in the recruiting world where I spend a lot of time and then I, I spend a lot of time in sports too, doing leadership development and adaptability is this like buzzword, I feel like that everyone thinks they're adaptable, but then you put them in a situation where like their job description doesn't say what we're asking them to do and they shut down. They're like, no, I can't do this. Like, how do you use that mental toughness to like truly make somebody adaptable and, and help them even believe maybe, maybe that's the, the key, right? To believe that they can do things even if they've never done them before, or they may be really difficult to achieve. Yeah. And you know what? It kind of uh, reminds me of one of the biggest things I should say is perspective. People that are extremely adaptable are able to look at things through a different lens. And it reminds me of this analogy I heard my good friend tell, and it was of a butterfly. And a butterfly is in a cocoon and there's kind of a slit in the cocoon and this guy sees it and it's, you know, trying to get out. And he's watching it struggle and struggle and struggle. And then suddenly it just stops. It kind of looks like it just quits. And then he felt so bad. So he ran inside, grabbed a pair of scissors, went outside and like clipped open the rest of the cocoon and out fell the butterfly. <laughs> and he looked down and was like, he, it looks funny. Like the, the body was really swollen and the wings were all shriveled up. And he thought to himself, you know what, that's okay. It's gonna, it's gonna grow now. Like I can't wait to watch it. And the point was that it never did. And why it never did is because it's the struggle that the butterfly has to go through to get out of the cocoon that forces the fluid from the body into its wings. And oftentimes, something that we forget is it's our struggle that forms our strengths. It's the difficult times that helps us grow. You can't be comfortable and grow at the same time. And so a lot of times I think people that are insanely adaptable are able to see that perspective, even when we're in the struggle. And I know for me, the one thing that I constantly remind myself when I am that butterfly in the cocoon and I'm like, this sucks, uh, <laughs> because it doesn't mean that you have to lie to yourself. It's not throwing a false positive on a difficult situation, but it's being able to zoom out a bit and going, how can I grow from this? And I know for me, the reminder I always give myself is I'm in the growth zone. This isn't, and I know something about the growth zone is it doesn't feel good. It makes you question, you feel sure. fear, you're second guessing. And so I think that what adaptable people are able to do is to see things from a different perspective. And when you change the way 
you see your situation, your situation changes. I love that story. And I think it's so powerful. And I'm naturally wondering what you've just taught us in the course of this conversation, as I mentioned, is powerful. Are you able to, like when you work with a client per se, and you start to get to know them a little bit and understand a little bit more about their background outside of maybe what their responsibilities are for a professional perspective? Like, are you able to take a story like that and relate it to a personal story with them? Because I feel like that would be you know, something that would be really powerful to say like, okay, what the story you just told me is, is a great story. And if there's not a book about it, maybe you should write one. <laughs> uh, but to uh, be able to take that and apply it to somebody's particular individual life, I feel like would enhance it even more. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's, I think that's the difference between the science of what we do and then the art of what we do. Sure. Okay. And I think, you know, again, one of my same person I heard that story from, um, Justin Sue, he's a really good, was my mentor growing up and now a good friend of mine. Awesome. I remember one time he told me this story. I was interning underneath him at IMG Academy. And I was very uh, under, I should say, uh, educated based on the other interns around me. I had maybe taken a couple courses in my master's and they were like working on PhDs or already had PhDs. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> they were not interns to me. I was the only intern in that situation. And I remember really struggling telling stories and relating these principles. And I would get frustrated. I'm like, Why don't they get it? I'm explaining why goals are important. I'm explaining this. Like, why aren't we understanding it? And I will never forget that he told me this. And I think this was a lesson he was taught. And he said, Lauren, we teach people, not lessons. If you want to teach a lesson, pull out a book and read from it. <laughs> if you want to teach people, we have to teach them through emotional stories, through things that touch them and they can relate to. And so I think for me, it transformed how I taught because instead of just teaching science, which the science is important, it's the foundation, right? Sure. But how we teach it through applicable stories is how we help people to take the action to change, motivate the action to change. Yeah. And so I think my, my tactics have changed dramatically since that day. And, um, and I think that's exactly how, that's the art of what we do. And uh, it's being able to take stories and relate them to experiences that our clients are going through. Yeah. And I will echo Justin is an awesome file on Twitter as is Lauren. So follow both of them. I'll put their handles in the show notes for people, but that's really, I think um, I love how you broke it down. Like there's, there's the, the art of it and then there's the science. And so often I feel like people get lost in the, in the science or in the theory of something and, and the application piece is what's missing. And, and that's why I love conversations like this and diving a little bit deeper because we can take something maybe that's surface level or something that people already have an understanding of, and we can dive a little bit deeper and we can help them take that next step. And um, so I really appreciate that. And my, my last question related to that is uh, more specific to you. Uh, do you think that, you know, now being able to, to reflect, obviously you maybe didn't have these tools when you were growing up playing athletics and early in your career, um, but are you able to, you know, use lessons from your past in, in areas where you, know, you had to, to work through to even help enhance the story even more? Absolutely. 
when people ask me, you know, why do you, why did you get in, become interested in sports psychology? The answer I always give is because I was the athlete that needed it the most. <laughs> I was the athlete that constantly beat myself up, that got in my own way, expected perfection. Um, and I think that it's because I was that athlete, I can not only relate to it when I see athletes going through that, but I also know the things that work to help get us out of it. And of course, each person's different. So what works for me may not be identical to what works for somebody else, but that relatability can help me navigate, you know, what might work for them. And I remember it was my very first session I ever gave um, when I was at the Yankees. And I remember getting up there and before anyone even walked in the room, that we had about 60 people in the room, I wrote a list of things people said to me. And it was like, no man will ever listen to you. Well, you don't, you didn't even play softball. What makes you think you can coach baseball players? Oh, uh, you don't even have a PhD. What makes you think you're qualified? And so anyway, this huge list of things that people had said to me that were obviously incorrect. Sure. But they all walk in and they sit down and they're reading this list and just, you know, looking at it. And then I started, you know, my, my talk and I said, look, I, I will never understand what it's like to be on a mound facing an incredible hitter. I will never understand what it's like to step in a box. Like I will never understand what it's like to be, you know, run a route. I won't understand these things. But what I do understand is I do understand what it's like when the game is on the line and the team, your team is relying on you. I do understand what it's like when you've had four games back to back and you are terrified to have another bad game because for fear of being taken out of the lineup. And so what I was able to do is I was pulling my experiences and finding the common denominators and saying, look, I don't, I won't understand this, but this is what I do understand. And I think that when it comes to any area, whether you're in business, military, you know, medical field, uh, actors, actresses, UFC, the struggle is actually quite similar across the board. When you, if you want to be great, you also have to understand that when you sign up for it, you sign up for all the difficulty that comes with it. And there's no, there's no such thing as an accidental major league baseball player. <laughs> right. There's no such thing as an acti- accidental, you know, UFC champion. And so when we talk to these people, there is a common theme across all of them. And it's the fact that they've all had to deal with difficult circumstances. So I think that that's what I bring to the table. Yeah. And two quick points I want to say first, uh, you're not alone on that island where as an athlete, (laughs) I felt like I I was one of those people that could have used it the most. I beat myself up. I, I remember, so I'm 32 when I was growing up. I mean, the, any type of mental health, any type of mental help that you were going to get got looked at in in a much different way than it uh, does these days. But I remember reading um, Harvey Dorfman's book um, uh, and and he wrote it mainly on his experiences in baseball. And one of the uh, people that I think really helped advance uh, what you're all doing today. Uh, So I just want to say that you're not on an island all alone. I was on that island with you. And obviously you've been able to prove a lot of people wrong along the way that just because your experiences are different uh, doesn't mean that you can relate. And that's what's leading me into my next 
topic and questions here for you. And I think what's really cool about sports these days are the walls that are being torn down between the specialty of the sport and the ability to relate to everybody as people. And remember that, you know, that's really at the core of everything. Like you can't be your best as a baseball player or as a UFC fighter, like you mentioned, unless you're your best as, as yourself. And um, I liken this all the time to the book I wrote culture of excellence. It's uh, based on the 30 year run of the Yankees. And um, it's like the Ted Lasso. Uh, if, if you've ever seen that show, we're like Ted Lasso is not really a show about soccer it's a soccer team, but it's more about the people. And that's what my book's about. And that's what I feel like your work, um, whether it was when you were with the Yankees or what you're doing right now on your own is largely about, it's not saying like, okay, I know how to hit a ball 350 feet, or I know how to throw the ball 95 miles an hour, but I do have feelings. I have had to work through adversity. Um, and, and that I feel like at the end of the day, I know this is a long winded tangent I'm going on, but I feel like at the end of the day, that's what really helps you probably the most be able to relate to people is just really that fundamental idea that you are a person and the person across from you is a person and that's how you can help each other best exactly and i think that it every we've probably heard this a million times but people don't care what you say until they know that you care about them right and so the number one thing i think anyone in our field would agree with is that it starts with relationships um, and building that relationship. And I think that's one of the unique parts about our position is that, you know, people in the field that do what I do, you know, yeah, of course we're talking about their sport, but there's often times where we're not and we're just checking in. How are you doing? Hey, I heard your mom had surgery. How'd it go? And, or I, I can't tell you how many rings I've helped pick out, <laughs> pick out for engagements. <laughs> um, it's, it's that, it's that, um, it's putting people first. And I think that's in any field, not just ours, um, but especially when, you know, people are opening up to you about their lives, they have to feel that they can trust you. Yeah. And um, the only way to do that is through building relationships. Sure. And the work that you're doing largely is it's being proactive, right? We're not being reactive to somebody who is, uh, let's say, going through a mental breakdown or um, really can't get past some type of mental block um, at the plate or on the mound or whatever the situation is. The, the work that you're doing is preventative almost in, in that nature, correct? Yes. And I should say that, um, I should say yes and no, because not everybody comes to us before. You know <laughs> sure, what I mean? Sure. There's people that don't find value in it until they need it. Obviously, if you're asking for my opinion, it's, I wouldn't wait that long because mental toughness isn't a light switch. Right. Can't just flip it on when you need it. It needs to be trained daily. The same as, you know, if you want to, you know, run a, you know, a quick, you know, 40, 40 yard sprint, it, you can't just show up and do it. I mean, sure you can, but that's not going to be the best version of you. The best version of you is after training a lot, lifting in the gym and, and, you know, working through that. But the same happens with mental performance. You know, if you if you don't train under pressure, don't expect to do well when you're under pressure. <laughs> right. If you don't train your response to adversity, you don't expect to have a great response when it happens. And so it has to be trained and practiced. And the only way to do that, or the best way I should say to do that, is by having a proactive approach. And that's, again, something that we do is we help develop those proactive plans so that when it's time to perform, 
you're not worrying about that. That those habits, those skills have already been developed. Yeah, and so I think it's it's interesting. You are preparing them for these high leverage pressure situations in in one sense, but I, it seems like in another way, if you're taking that preventative proactive approach, um, you're also just I think helping them stay healthier, you know, just like you would for for your body any physical. Uh, workouts or any conditioning that you would do. So, so it seems like there's both aspects to it, which would, <laughs> you know, seem to be a no brainer. Like, yeah, Hey, let's, let's do some work around this. That's right. I mean, when you, when you invest in your mindset, the level of everything that you do will rise because it has an impact on your ability to do it to the best, you know, of your ability. And so I always say, and I know you've probably heard me say this before, but Mental toughness doesn't make you invincible. It makes you adaptable. And we know that you're still going to have struggles. You're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to face adversity. You're still going to have obstacles. Um, But what it allows you to do is adapt quickly. And we know that the best are able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were with the Yankees then, were you – what what type of players were you working with? So like, I, I I'm only asking, I, I've had Rachel uh, Belkovich on in the past and I've had Hannah Huseman who we talked about uh, earlier and they were both working at the minor league organization and it was actually Rachel. And then, so Rachel was first and then Hannah and both of them, I think got me to change my thinking around um, how much fun you have at that level uh, in the minor leagues versus, you know, every, everybody's got, not, not everything is figured out at the major league level, but the, the priorities are different. The pressure is different, especially when we're talking about the Yankees and there's so much more development that goes in at those levels. So were you on kind of that same plane where you were working with some of the younger players coming up through the system? Yeah. So I worked with the ma- with the minor league system and we had a team of six. Okay. So certainly was not alone in this. There was a lot of people working with a lot of our players and um, it was a team effort because we had at the time like 350 in our system. Sure. A lot of people. Um, (laughs) And it's, it's pretty incredible because part of my job that we were talking before is wasn't when I was with the Yankees was not just with working with our players, but it was also assisting in the draft process. So um, what I would do is they would, you know, send me and my, and my colleague kind of all over the place to see who we believed were some of the top picks in the draft. And we would interview them and then write a report on what we believed, uh, you know, where, where they were at mentally and if they would be a good fit. And so the cool thing is that sometimes I would get to see, not only I would interview these players, but then we would draft them. And then I get to see their growth throughout our system. Yeah. And that's pretty incredible to see because I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with the fact that one of the coolest parts of our job is seeing these guys live out their dream. Yeah. And seeing them succeed and seeing them overcome struggles and seeing them bounce back from adversity. Like there's nothing cooler than that. Um, and so oftentimes when I would work with those guys, like a year down the road, two years down the road, we would reflect on how these last couple of years went, you know, did you, were you expecting this and how did you grow from that? And it's pretty cool. And then obviously seeing them make the major league roster, that's pretty incredible to be able to see it from the very beginning all the way through, because you were there when, you know, they were struggling when they didn't think they could make it when they were questioning themselves. And now you get to see how all those things prepared them to become a big leader. Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be one of the coolest transformations just to, like I said, see that process from start to finish. And what's really interesting. And I'd love to 
um, maybe understand a little bit more what goes into some of these evaluations because um, so I'll give you two specific examples um, and I'm not asking you to, to give examples specifically, but just more of a, a general observation based on this. But I know from my research, again, from, from the book I wrote, there's two stories that are standing out in terms of, um, you know, did they have the mental makeup to make it in New York if they got that far? And the first person is Aaron Judge. And um, part of the, the reason that they really wanted to figure out that evaluation is because I think there's been, you know, roughly a dozen major leaguers who have been his size and only one of them is in the Hall of Fame, and that's former Yankee Dave Winfield. And so they knew they were already going to be potentially taking a risk based on his physical abilities, like he's better maybe suited for football or something like that. So had to make sure that he was going to check out from a, a mental um, strength standpoint. And I think obviously we've, we've seen that that has uh, worked out pretty well so far. Um, the other story, and this is why, I, you know, it's not a foolproof approach and this is why I'm wondering like maybe what goes into the evaluations is uh, Sonny Gray who the Yankees traded for back in 2017 I believe it was largely they traded for him based on the fact that he had performed really really well with the athletics in his only postseason appearance I think back in 2013 so they had a major league high leverage situation to back them up even though they didn't have their own, you know, somebody in the organization who could give an evaluation. Long story short, it didn't work out with Sonny in New York. And um, he's since moved on to uh, Cincinnati, where again, he has found success much like he had uh, with Oakland. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what goes into the evaluations? Like, are there areas where you feel like you're much more confident if a person has this versus having that, that, you know, they're going to make it. Cause again, it's, it's obviously not foolproof. So you know, how do we know when we're giving evaluations that we're, we're giving the right information to the people who need it for the decisions? Um, the truth, truthfulness. So the actual answer is we don't know. Okay. Uh, and that we are wrong from time to time. And sometimes talent over like outweighs any mental makeup flaws we find Sure, is, is worth it. But truthfully, if we had the exact formula, you know, we would, you know, it would be wonderful, but it's something that's constantly evolving. And what we've done is we've created patterns of behavior that we believe make major leaguers and that we believe um, are consistent with some of the best um, major league players that have ever been. And so that's, that's kind of where we find uh, the benefits of is like, okay, well, let's take these patterns of behavior and see if this can help us predict um, people that will be able to handle these difficult moments. They'll be able to push through that are, that have a why that are a purpose behind what they're doing so great that they're not going to quit when the struggle's high. And so these are the things, you know, that we're trying to find. And, uh, but to say that, you know, that's, that's it. Of course, there's outliers. Of course, there's people that maybe we don't think have, you know, the mental fortitude, but man, they're so good that they're able to get by that way. That's a really small percentage. And so we definitely don't make a lot of those, at least when I was there, it didn't make a lot of those decisions based on that. But also I know that that's not my lane of, uh, of expertise. So I leave (laughs) that to people that are very smart in that area and know how to evaluate talent in that way. But even having a, a small piece to the puzzle and kind of being able to help strategize with, okay, this is what shows up really well in this player. And this is something that, 
maybe this player struggles with and this is something we think we can help develop or this is a red flag we're not so sure that i think also helps solidify some of the decisions that maybe they were already going to make or maybe force them to go double check just to make sure based on some of those evaluations so if nothing else it just provides more information so that we can make our best guess yeah and and i love you pointed out very clearly that this is one piece of the puzzle right there's there's other pieces to it but i want to take that piece um, because i think it's it's something that can really help you know especially if we're talking younger um, people you know maybe teenagers um, who are looking to maybe go from high school to the college level and then pro- potentially even play professionally um, or, or even if they're not in sports you know h- how do we take you know, like what are what are some um, you know when you're doing those evaluations like what are some of those key aspects that you're looking for that we could tell you know younger players younger people to say like okay if you're you're not doing this or you're not thinking this way maybe let's let's work on uh, shifting the mind because this is really what's going to help you um, and use it as if there's like three different buckets if there's the skill base if there's the the talent and physical base and then there's the uh, like the leadership and mental um, base then uh, we have to be able to figure this out so I'm just wondering if you could share with us you know maybe some uh, of the key areas of evaluation that you would recommend maybe to someone who's younger um, to to start working on so that by the time you know and like in the scenario when they when you were with the Yankees when they got to you they would be well prepared and ready to go well this isn't necessarily specific to the Yankees this is something that I would tell anybody whether right. they're up and uh, wanting to perform at their best um a couple things is number one it's really important to have a routine and the reason is because we should plan on purpose and when we when we add purpose to our actions we start to create progress and so my question would be to you know to whoever's listening that wants to become the best version of themselves is what is your current daily routine? What is your current weekly routine? And when it comes to those things, how are those things helping you become a better version of you? Because I know some people are like, oh, well, I have a routine, but there's no purpose behind it. They just do it because they think they should. My question would be, there has to be purpose behind it. And so if somebody, um, let's say, wants to improve their ability to read, right? There would be a purpose behind their actions of reading every day. And if somebody wants to become faster, um, there's, there would be a purpose behind maybe their training that day. And so my question would be, number one, where do you want to go? And number two, what strategy and purpose do you put behind it in terms of your preparation? That's really important because, and, it's, and I should say it, it's not as common, like at least with people that I've talked to, because a lot of people, like especially high school age um, guys that I would speak to, they've gotten by on talent. And so they haven't gotten to the point yet where they've really had to have a routine. They've had to make some of those decisions or create those habits that create separators. So I think it's really impressive when somebody that age has those things because most don't. And so I'd say, I would say that would be like probably one of the ones that would really stand out for me for that age group because it's just not done. (laughs) Yeah. And it it makes sense. I mean, um, you know, you hear it all the time 
uh, especially across sports. It's uh, it's not as level of a playing field. And so, um, you know, to your to your point, your talent can really carry you far. But I think it would be a tremendous uh, tool to have for you know college recruiting or whatever your uh, goals are in life. So I appreciate that advice. And so, Lauren, you have uh, since transitioned um, out on your own now, uh, continuing to do uh, similar work as you were with the Yankees and before that just love to give you some time to tell us a little bit more about, you know, what goes into to the work that you do with folks, if they're interested in, in learning more uh, who you target to help and uh, just give us more of a holistic view of what you're doing these days. Yeah. So what I'm doing is it's actually not terribly different from being with the Yankees. Um, it's just not only with the Yankees. And so what I do is I work with teams, whether that's in sports, whether that's in business and anything outside of that, I, I work with them to help develop mental toughness. And so I've, wor- I've worked with people like Johnson & Johnson and Mass Mutual and some bigger companies just on helping their teams from the executive level down to help just develop these types of mental principles. Because let's face it, our world just went through a really difficult year. Yeah. And again, the most adaptable survive. And so I was brought in to help with adaptability. Um, and then also giving everybody kind of an outlet because it's not easy what we're going through, but at the same time, how do we leverage the situation that we're in? Even when it's difficult, how do we still improve ourselves even through difficult times? Um, so that's something that I, I do quite a bit. And then also I have, I have a really small group of individuals that I work with and I keep it small just so that I can pour everything into them. And then I also have a small team that are also available to be seen too. And they do a lot of one-on-one sessions and group sessions. And uh, that's our goal. Our goal is just to help develop mental toughness so that you can be your best and perform your best regardless of circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we're getting close to, I guess, normalcy or whatever you want to call and things opening back up. Are you able to do the work that you do virtually? Is that something that you offer as well? Yeah. So not only do I do kind of my one-on-ones virtually, but then also my group sessions and keynotes. I I never thought I would do a keynote over uh, Zoom, <laughs> but I can't tell you the amount of those that I've done. So, uh, however, I am starting to book some in-person stuff that's going to be towards the end of the year. So really excited about that to be able to speak in front of a group of people, not just a group over the computer. So uh, really looking forward to that. But yes, um, I, I, I definitely have a lot of experience doing both. All right. Awesome. And I mentioned earlier, I'll link to your Twitter profile. I'll link to your website as well. Is there anywhere else in terms of information or contact that we should be aware of? Um, actually, if you go to my website, all my social media handles are on there and uh, that you can also sign up for my newsletter on my website. And it's every week you get my midweek mindset video plus an action plan delivered right to your inbox. Yeah, definitely sign up for that. It's worth it. Lauren is awesome. I know we could talk forever and more in depth about all this type of stuff. So maybe in the future, we'll, we'll have you on to dive a little bit deeper. But I really appreciate you taking some time here today, Lauren, to talk to us about your expertise and help us uh, all, you know, myself included, get a, a little bit tougher mentally. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome.